That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Hey, my brothers and sisters, I hope this day finds you well. Um, we have a lot to cover, so I'm just gonna jump into it and you'll figure out as we go along what I wanna talk about today. But it's essentially uh, Medicare and, and, and Medicaid, which which is socialized medicine for those of you that, that, that don't know. They say that, you know, it's offered for free. Nothing is free, I hope you know that. <laughs> it's, paid, it's paid for uh, with income tax and payroll tax, just so you know. So we can thank uh, Lyndon Johnson for signing that little gem, I believe it was 1965. Thanks a lot for, uh, for the socialism, Mr. President. Anyway, let's, let's dive in. So this is coming from ABC News, and ABC News is a, um, is a part of the left, and I believe it's owned by, by Disney, not that Disney cares, they're just a, a big corporation, all they care about is revenue. But ABC News is definitely, they're just all about that left religion. <laughs> they're all about it. So I like to use um, basically their own words against them, their own words to, to show the absurdity of their ideology and to mock and shame them at every turn because it's what they deserve. So here we have ABC News, and this is coming from March. This is March, dated March 30th, 2022. And this is end of COVID may bring major turbulence for U.S. healthcare. Now, the reason why I find this very interesting is that they're actually attempting to justify keeping or extending the emergency powers that were unconstitutional to begin with in order to, as they're trying to frame it here, to save lives. They're actually insinuating that if we if we remove these emergency powers, which which just basically gave our centralized government, unconstitutionally centralized government, even more power, they want to keep that power in the government's hands. And and their whole thing is, you know, of course, so we can save lives, because you know, that's what they always do. They try to appeal to your to your compassion and your emotion while stealing from you. While, while taking away your liberty and your freedoms. <laughs> so let's dive into this, because what's interesting is that if it jumps around, because these articles always, they always tell themselves, because they don't think that their people, their readers are intelligent enough to interpret the truth. So they just go ahead and say what they mean. They just say the quiet parts out loud. But let's go ahead and jump into this. Now keep in mind, they, they want the government to retain all of this power. So keep that in mind as I'm reading through this. When the end of the COVID-19 pandemic comes, it could create major disruptions for a cumbersome U.S. healthcare system made more generous, flexible, and up-to-date technologically through a, a raft of temporary emergency measures. See that? So all of these temporary emergency measures has, has made everything better. It's taking care of more people. It's a good thing. It's a good thing that it was 15 days of slow to spread that turned into over two years. That's a good thing. It's inconsequential, the lies and, and, and the misinformation coming from the government and how they're pivoting right now. That's inconsequential. The emergency powers that they were granted were good. Winding down these policies could begin as early as the summer. That could force an estimated 15 million Medicaid recipients to find new sources of coverage, require congressional action to preserve broad telehealth access for Medicare enrollees, and scramble special COVID-19 rules and payment policies for hospitals, doctors, and insurers. There are also questions about how emergency use approvals for COVID-19 treatments will be handled. Now, they're going to elaborate on that paragraph, but that's it in a nutshell. 15 million Medicaid recipients or enrollees are benefiting from the unconstitutional centralization of power 
basically moved into this medical police state. And what they're saying is all of these things that were granted during the emergency, right? Now it's an emergency. So typically in an emergency, we do things that we don't generally do because emergencies don't last forever, right? It's an emergency situation. So you do some things during the emergency and then we go back to normal. They're saying that they want to retain those powers. They also, they also, uh, you know, elaborate on, or not necessarily elaborate isn't the word, but they tell on themselves. Because for a very long time, people have been saying that hospitals get incentivized and they get paid more with, with C-19 patients. And I've seen pushback on that. Well, here in this article, they actually say it. They get paid like 20% more to treat COVID patients. That's, that's a heck of an incentive to keep treating COVID patients. I'm saying, it just is, right? So that's what I'm saying. If you read through the article, they tell you what their, what their agenda is. They tell you what they've actually been doing and what they, what they want to continue to do. And it really doesn't have anything to do with saving lives and, and keeping these 15 million people. Because when you read through, there are options for these folks, but they make it seem like the, the best option is to once again, keep these unconstitutionally <laughs> overreaching, centralized government power um, you know, protocols in place. We're still in an emergency. You understand? It's supposed to end like, I think, April 16th. It's, it's been over two years. Who stays in an emergency this long? You either are inept at your job or you're doing it on purpose at this point, right? You either don't understand what's needed during an emergency and you need to be replaced because it shouldn't have taken you this long to handle business or you're doing it in, you know, on purpose. The array of issues is tied to the coronavirus public health emergency first declared more than two years ago and periodically renewed since then. It's set to end April 16th, and the expectation is that the Biden administration will extend it through mid-July. Some would like it, would like a longer off-ramp. Yeah, I wonder who would like a longer off-ramp. They're not like patriotic Americans who believe in liberty and freedom. You understand that, right? That's what I'm saying. They're writing this to their people that are part of this cult. The people who don't want liberty, who, wants, who want to be slaves to the government as long as they pay their way. They're losers, is what it comes down to. They don't want to earn their way. The thing is, with all of this, who pays for it? When you think payroll tax and income tax, so people who work and people who have an income. So this isn't free. You're taking from people and giving to other people. You're stealing from, from Peter to pay Paul, to pay Paul's medical bills, right? You understand that's what socialized medicine is. The flexibilities granted through the public health emergency have helped people stay covered and get access to care. So moving forward, the key question is how to build on what has been success and not lose ground, said Julia Kubansky, a Medicare expert with the nonpartisan Kaiser Family Foundation who has been researching potential consequences of winding down the pandemic emergency. Sure, she's nonpartisan. Now, they keep saying the same thing over and over. They're, they're trying to convince you that holding on to these things is going to be the best for people. Now, granted, they're only talking about 15 million people, but it doesn't matter. When you read the rest of the article, and I'm not gonna go through all of it because it's rather lengthy and there's some other things, other points that I wanna make, but the whole theme of this is the same. And what I find interesting is no one seems to care about the Constitution. No one seems to care about it. They, they make it seem like caring about the Constitution actually makes you a bad person. Wanting to pay your own way and expecting someone else to do the same makes you a bad person. Well, what about all the elderly people that are on Medicaid and wicked? What about them? 
you shouldn't have started this program in the first place. You shouldn't be taking from people in the first place. You shouldn't have socialized medicine in the first place, right? Lyndon Johnson was an ass. We shouldn't have any of these things in the first place. There should be no social security. That was ridiculous. There should be no socialized medicine of, of any kind. Obama with this ACA crap. These folks don't care. They know what's going to happen to you with these programs and they don't care. And these are the points I'm gonna make later on. I'm gonna show you some examples. Medicaid, the state federal health insurance program for low income people is covering about 79 million people, a record partly due to the pandemic. Okay, but it's partly due. So what's the other part? You see how they're, they're just trying to use the pandemic. In the rest of this article, there's no other details given on what the other parts are. Are the other parts contributing more than the pandemic? The insinuation is that it's at record highs because of the pandemic, and then you give a number. Yet, early in the article, you said it's only 15 million. So if it's just a 15 million bump, then most of this is not, then most of that 79 million is not from the pandemic. They don't explain themselves at all. They expect you to just conflate. If it's 79 there, and that seems like a high number, 79 million, and, it's at, and they tell you it's a record high, they want you to fill in the blanks them, yourself. They're purposely ambiguous. So they, can, so they can make it seem like it's bigger than it is so that they then can sell you the fact that they need to stay in power past these deadlines. It's all about them retaining power. They don't care about the 79 million. They definitely don't care about the 15 million. They even later on this, they even, you know, are, are, are trying to single out Republicans because, you know, Republicans are their political opposition. And so they always take the chance to do that. I just want you guys to keep this. These are the tricks that they play. They act like they care about you. They come to you like as if they're savers, but they're slave masters. They don't love or care about you. If they did, they would just tell you the truth and then trust you to have the intelligence to assess that truth and then decide for yourself. But if you do that, they lose power. Here, check this out. Congress increased federal Medicaid payments to states because of COVID-19, but it also required states to keep people on the rolls during the health emergency. In normal times, states routinely disenroll Medicaid recipients whose incomes rise beyond certain levels or for other life changes affecting eligibility. That process will switch on again when the emergency ends and some states are eager to move forward. There it is in a nutshell. They were able to use the pandemic to bypass all of these things so that they can increase funding, whether, it's ne whether it was necessary or not, so they can keep people on, on enrolled who normally would not be. So that's definitely going to drain resources because there's a reason why they get kicked off because they, they no longer meet the requirements, but they kept them there anyway. And then other life changes that would normally have disenrolled them, which then would stop allocating resources that, in, in that direction. Because they used the pandemic, they, they, they did away with all that. And these people on the left, ABC News, they wanna keep that going. So I want you to remember that. They wanna keep this going. They want to remove all of the mechanisms that would have kept it more honest to, to how it's legislated, right? More honest because there's only a certain amount of resources. And so if it's supposed to be for low income, if your income moves above that, that, that margin, you, you then are disenrolled because you have more income. You can, you can have other options. Understand there are other options. They can go to Obamacare. They can go to some other things. There's other options. And then if you do away with those things, people who, 
who shouldn't be there based on your projections and, and what kind of income is going to be necessary, they're now going to be there draining it faster. So keep that in mind. Now this is about the telehealth. The end of the public health emergency would jeopardize telehealth access for millions enrolled in traditional Medicare. Restrictions predating COVID-19 limit telehealth mainly to rural residents in part to mitigate against health care fraud. Congress has given itself 151 days after the end of the public health emergency to come up with new rules. So once again, it's, it's going to go back to pre-emergency. There were reasons why they had these protocols. They just said it. They, they relegated telehealth more to rural people who were maybe further away from these hospitals, couldn't get there as regularly, which makes sense. But when people are seen in person, you can keep fraud down. So what's, where's the answer for, for the fraud? And if fraud is kept down when telehealth is, is mitigated, then during this pandemic with telehealth going up, does that mean that fraud went up? I'm just asking the question. They're the ones that brought it up. An area that's particularly murky is what happens to tests, treatments, and vaccines covered under emergency use authorization from the FDA. Some experts say emergency use approvals last only through the duration of the public health emergency. Others say it's not as simple as that because a different federal agency, a different federal emergency statute also applies to vaccines, tests, and treatments. There's no clear direction yet from health officials. The FDA has granted full approval to Pfizer and, and Moderna, uh, Pfizer 16 and older and, and Moderna 18 and older. So their continued use would not be affected because they're not in emergency use uh, anymore. But hospitals could take a financial hit. Here we go. But hospitals could take a financial hit. Currently, they're paid 20% more for the care of COVID-19 patients. That added that added payment is only for the duration of the emergency. This is, I mean, people have been saying this for a while and I've heard pushback like, no, that's not, that's not what's happening. That's not what's happening. Apparently ABC News, who's, who's you know, who's, who's one of the arbiters of, of your cult, even they're admitting it. Let me read that again. But hospitals could take a financial hit. Currently they're paid 20% more for the care of C-19 patients. That 20% could go away after the emergency. Hmm. Hmm. Now, before I move on to some other things that I want to show you, I want to read this, this last little part, because as I said, they never miss an opportunity to sow fear, division, to, to instigate, you know, emotion. And they also never miss an opportunity to attack their political uh, enemies. So here's, here's uh, one little part. Republicans and mostly Southern states that have refused to expand Medicaid are also vulnerable. In those states, it can be very difficult for low-income adults to get coverage and more people could wind up uninsured. You see that the Republicans refused to expand it. So they refuse to take advantage of the emergency and grab power. Okay. But see how they frame it that, that they actually don't care about these low-income people. I, maybe you read it differently, but that's what it sounds like to me. Especially when you start to read enough of these articles. And I've read enough coming from ABC News specifically they're they're just they're just activists they're not even journalists over there but here's here's what i want to talk about with regards to medicaid uh, specifically but also medicare in there as well and that's this now this article is coming from 2015 medicare and medicaid at 50 one is going bankrupt the other is bankrupting states when president johnson signed medicare into law on June 30th, 1965, he said, if it has a few defects, I am confident those can quickly be remedied. 
50 years later, a government accountability office report found that an eye-popping 60 million, fully 10% of Medicare's budget was lost to waste, fraud, abuse, or improper payments last year. Among the glaring defects, the GAO found 23,400 fake or bad addresses on Medicare's list of providers. Between those two events, Medicare has repeatedly suffered vast cost overruns, has been reformed countless times, and has imposed a seemingly endless series, I think that's a typo, endless series of price controls on doctors and hospitals. And even with all this tinkering, the program's hospital insurance trust fund will be insolvent in 15 short years, after which Medicare Part A will run annual deficits that quickly top $200 billion. Closing that gap will require either deep benefit cuts or sharp tax hikes. Medicare spending, meanwhile, will continue to eat up an average greater portion of the federal budget and the economy. Medicare's latest annual report projects that its share of the GDP will climb 53% over the next two decades. Okay, that's from 2015. That's, that's giving a 50-year review. And this one here, this article was coming from 2016. What are your options if Medicaid goes broke? Americans are living longer than ever. With that longer lifespan comes increasing reliance on long-term health care services. And costs associated with in-home care services, nursing homes, and other residential facilities are on the rise. The primary payer for long-term care is Medicaid. The joint federal and state program designed to help Americans with limited incomes pay medical costs. Government programs such as Medicaid and the like may not necessarily be around going forward provide assistance to provide assistance, said Money Crashers finance expert David Bach. Bach told Healthline that Medicaid is projected to run out of money in the year 2030 or perhaps as early as 2026. Medicaid will certainly have a challenge when it comes to handling the strain of long-term care for seniors and retirees, he said. You could make the argument that already the needs of the elderly aren't being met in a satisfactory fashion under the current system. In fact, 37% of long-term care costs are currently being met with out-of-pocket funds. According to Bach, some states are putting the onus on providers to keep care costs under control. And then I have one more for you. So that was 2015 as a 50-year review, and then a year later, and this right here, this is February 24th, 2021. Industry Voices, Medicare is going bankrupt. Biden will have to do something to ensure its solvency. Medicare is running out of money. According to the latest projection from the Congressional Budget Office, or the CBO, the program's Part A hospital insurance trust fund will be exhausted in 2024. That's just three years away before the end of President Joe Biden's first term. Congress and the Biden administration will have to take action to preserve the program for its more than 60 million beneficiaries, requiring wealthy seniors to cover a greater share of their benefits and injecting more competition into the program by subsidizing the purchase of private coverage would help put Medicare back on sound financial footing. When former President Lyndon Johnson signed Medicare into law in 1965, which is a terrible mistake, the average that was me saying that, not the article. Just to, just to be clear, I believe that was a terrible mistake. The average life expectancy was 70. Today, it's nearly 79. Seniors are the fastest growing group in the country. They're projected to outnumber children by 2034. Medicare's outlays are steadily growing too. They hit 800 billion in 2019. So keep this in mind. If by 2034, if, the, if senior citizens are gonna outnumber children and Medicaid and Medicare are funded through income tax and payroll tax. There's going to be less workers to pay for this. So understand, like, at some point, there was a point where it was four, four employees per one person on these programs. 
and it's dwindling down. I believe now it's down to three. It's going to be projected to be down to two. Do you see, do you see the trend? This is the point I want to make. The left wants to keep these programs going. They know all these numbers. They don't want to keep it going because they believe it's actually going to help these people. They know that they're going to run out of resources and out of money. They want to keep it going because of the power that it gives them. You understand that? I did a quick search and I found, I found these articles. You can find these articles. They're easy. And you can see that the projections aren't good. Same thing for Social Security. These socialized programs don't work. Socialism doesn't work. These people know it. They know these projections. Revenues aren't keeping pace. The program is financed through income taxes and payroll taxes. Young and middle-aged workers effectively hand over a portion of their wages to pay for seniors' health care. Half a century ago, there were four workers, here we go, per Medicare enrollee. Today, that ratio is down to three to one. It'll be just over two to one within the next 10 years. And then what do you think is going to be 10 years after that? I've just said there's going to be more. In 2034, there's going to be more senior citizens than there are children. So do you, do you see how that, that supply and demand is not going to work out? Those numbers don't, don't pencil, so to speak. And they know this. They've known this for a long They've known this for a long time. In 2015, they knew that there was an issue. Even when he signed it in, he knew that there were issues. He was like, oh, they'll just probably just work it out. They'll just work it out. They'll fix it. Who, who leads like that? Oh, we'll go in this direction and we just hope it works out. What kind of leadership is that? Understand, this has nothing to do with the welfare of the American people. It makes no sense to force people to pay for other people. It makes way more sense to teach the man to fish than it is to give it to him daily and take it from the people who are fishing. That makes absolutely no sense. What you're gonna do is incentivize people to keep their hand out and incentivize people who are producing to not produce. Because why would they do it if they can't benefit from their own labor? You understand, if you're not benefiting from your own labor, that's called slavery. I'm gonna leave these links in, in the description section where I can, so you can read through these. Um, you know, I only have a certain amount of time and I wanna go forever, but I wanna show you where, where the issue lies, and there's two of them. One is the left. They want to fundamentally undermine America and reshape it in their vision. And their vision is one of perversion and debauchery and hedonism and narcissism. They're, they're just, they just want utter chaos. <laughs> and then the other thing is these programs aren't working. And even though the left is trying to use them in order to garner sympathy, to keep more power and get more power, the programs themselves are not working. And we need to do something about that. Basically, make everything free market capitalism. Everything right now. Right now. Make everything free market capitalism. Like and subscribe, like and subscribe. And as always, if you're moving in the dark, all we need to do is turn on that light, baby. Just turn on that light.